Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders. Was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Music Buzz Podcast. Podcast features candid discussions with and about those behind the scenes in the music business, including industry veterans representing the segments of musician, design, and live. All three Music Buzz podcast hosts have spent their careers working with the biggest names in entertainment and have been and are still a fly on the wall. Dane Clark as the drummer for John Mellencamp's band for over 20 years and various solo projects. Hugh Sign, a world-renowned graphic artist for the biggest names in music and the corporate world. Andy Wilson, an award-winning marketing and public relations executive with over 20 years of combined multi-level entertainment industry experience in the music and sports business. Now let's buzz. Hello and welcome back to the Music Buzz podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Andy Wilson, along with Dane Clark. Hey, Dane. Hi, Andy. And also Hugh Syme. Hey, Hugh. Hey, Andrew. Today we welcome to the Music Buzz guitarist Michael Wilton, founding member of Queensryche. Michael is known as Whip for his undeniable speed playing the guitar, though he started on bass many moons ago. Queensryche released its 16th album, Digital Noise Alliance, in 2022 and continues to blaze a trail in both the studio and on the road. So welcome to the Music Buzz, Michael Wilton. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Congrats on the Digital Noise Alliance project. It's very cool. Got to check it out yesterday. Fans of progressive metal and hard rock in general absolutely love this record. Well-written songs, man, stunning instrumental work and vocal performances from you guys. And the uh, new guy on drums, Casey Grillo, it's his first recording with you guys, right? Though he's played with you for a while. He's kicking some ass on there. Hats off to him. Oh, yeah. I mean, this this album uh, came out in last October, so we've been just promoting the hell out of it, you know. And, and uh, fortunately, we were on the Judas Priest tour and then... You know, I've been doing some one-offs, and now we're on the Digital Noise Alliance tour. I read somewhere that you had a collection of old Marshall amps that you used on this project. Can you tell us about the combination of guitars and amps? And because the the guitar sounds are great on this record, man. Because I've got a, I've got a studio, Thunder Sound Studio, in my home, which is supplied by Sweetwater, by the way. A little <laughs> plug for those guys. Maybe I'll get some more money off my next order. As is mine. My studio, too. Everything in my room here is from Sweetwater. Tell me about your guitar tones. Yeah, this album, you know, our producer, Zeus, he said, hey, Michael, you still have all those old Marshalls you used to record with? I go, yeah, they're in the closet in my house. So uh, why, you want to resurrect those? He goes, yeah, let's do it. So I brought, I think, six of them, you know, from different albums. And, you know, ranging from, you know, old 50 watts to... French 50 watts, 100 watts, JCM 800s, 100 watt JCM 800s, which I actually got from Jim Marshall back in 1984 when we were at their factory over in England. 
So I've, uh, you know, as they get a little older, you got to, uh, you know, change out the capacitors because they dry out. So they've all been recapped over the years and so glorious to turn those on and just hear them. It was just, a, you know, everybody was just salivating. It was like, yeah, you know, and, and why were they in the closet? They're big. They take up a lot of space. So it's, uh, you know, they're hidden there and I'm, I'll pull one out once in a while to, to turn it on and play through it. But um, yeah, it was an arsenal, you know, and, and he said, bring all your effects. You know, I have some oldies, you know, the uh, ADA flanger, which we used back on the EP back in 1982. And that, that little flanger has made its way on every Queensryche album. <laughs> it's like, it, it, it's, it's got the weirdest power supply to it. And it's, you know, it just gives it that clean, you know, Lady War Black fluorescent uh, flanging effect. It's great. Is this your only album with Zeus as producer? No, he's been on the last three albums. So he's no slouch. No, he's great. You know, he's he's the, uh, you know, the final voice on on things that uh, as far as decisions to be made and just a great guy. He makes you feel comfortable and he, uh, you know, he manages to, to push you just enough to get the best performances out. You know, and he, and he's a cool guy to hang out with as well. That helps as a producer for sure. Yeah. Be able to get along with the guy. Right. Hey. Right. So what, what guitars were you mixing with these Marshalls? Uh, various ESPs, um, a couple of Les Pauls that I have, uh, a couple strats, uh, you know, just whatever the song needed. Um, brought some acoustics into it. I have my Taylor, uh, I forgot the model of it. I think it's like an 810 or something like that. Yeah. So, and then my 12 string. I mean, it's just, we just kind of, improvised everything this this album was after the pandemic you know we had a meeting after it was safe to travel and we decided this is let's make this a really special album and do it differently you know let's let's kind of bring back the magic of the early 80s when you know me and DeGarmo would get in a room and just start riffing with each other and building songs that way and having everybody else come in and and write the songs so this album was there was no outside material, old demos or anything. This was all improvised from the ground up. So, and with everybody in the room, you know, it's, it's, it's magic because everybody gives you a, a thumbs up or a thumbs down or not sure, you know, and then you proceed. There, there's no waiting for an email to come back or did you listen to it or, you know, it's none of that stuff. And it's just, it just expedited the whole recording process. I mean, it's fun. And it's like, you know, but now, you know, back then, you know, you didn't have the internet, you didn't have cell phones and we were young and we, we couldn't for, afford a computer. So, um, you know, now it's kind of like that, but we, we can afford a computer, which is great because if, if I have an idea that just flies out of my head, you know, Zeus is there to capture it because most likely, you know, I'm 
no spring chicken, right? But um, that riff probably just went into collective consciousness, and there's no way for me to retrieve it. Being together as a band is so much more organic, and that's something that usually younger bands, before the rigors of the road and the schedules of the record company demanding a new album in 22 months, the fact that you were in the same room is, you know, unfortunately, a lot of band, a lot of a lot of bands fly their parts into each other now because of computers, and they end up kind of making the album from remote locations. It works, and you can come out with great stuff. And it's just, um, I think it just takes longer. I think it takes longer. So, um, but yeah, I mean, and the, you know, when we were in pre-production. You know, we were up to like 22 solid ideas. And that's when Zeus just said, hey, guys, we got to stop those 11 tunes and concentrate it on them. And let's get the recording going. We recorded the drums in Hulk Hogan's old mansion in Florida. What? Tell us more about that. I don't know. 15, 16,000 square feet. It's massive. And it, they had this massive living room with asymmetrical walls and kind of a dome ceiling and zeus goes let's do the drums here this is perfect so we built um you know the studio studio there and put the recording equipment in there all the cables and everything and you know we tracked the drums and that's a one of a kind drum track sound i mean it is that came out of hulk hogan's mansion's it's a big sound. It does. It is a nice sound and drum sound for sure. Did you guys have like an urge to rip your shirts off and stuff while you were recording? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, and jump in the water. Yeah. It's like, so how, so how did you end up in Hulk Hogan's former house? I mean, is it a studio now or what's the story? How'd you end up there? No, no, no. It's, it's his old house. I don't know if you watched uh, MTV or VH1 back in the day, they did something with it. Um, okay. You can check and see all the pictures on that, but it's, Someone else bought it, right? Because he okay. sold it a while ago. And then uh, Todd Latore, our singer, knows the people that bought it. So they said, well, yeah, we'll let you borrow it for a month. So That's they were really so cool. gracious. Yeah, it was a blast. Todd singing his butt off on this record too, man. So yeah, I mean, you know, all in all, I mean, this was a, a really special uh, recording for us. And, you know, when you're doing this, it's like everything is subjective, right? You don't know how the fans are going to react to any of your music and it's like and all that you got to do is just believe in what you're doing fortunately the way we wrote these songs and everything it's connected with the fans so well and it's like they're they're demanding you know to hear songs off uh digital noise alliance live you know so the song that hit me the most because it's just melodically i enjoyed it it's probably the least heavy tune on there but the song called forest it sounds like uh david bowie wrote it the same day he wrote space oddity it's a great tune and i love the chord for the beatley chords and everything you guys playing that one live it's just a question yeah we are and the fans love it you know that's I'll one of the last do. songs that, that we put together i had a little I had that slight arrangement and then we rebuilt it and, you know, added a, a Mellotron and a little piano in there and then just kind of made it a really special song. That's a great one. And it, and it works great live. Rebel Yell was an even better version too. I thought that sounded amazing. Yeah. And that's, you know, everybody's going, why the hell did you put a Billy Idol song on, on the CD? Uh, and, and it's like, and it's like, 
they, they don't know, you know, our record company, Century Media Records, always asks for a bonus track. We've always given them a bonus track, whether it's a live version of a song or acoustic version of a song. So we decided, hey, you know, everybody's doing cover songs these days. Let's do one. So we had uh, we had the cult. She sells Sanctuary ready to go. And we had uh, uh, Rebel Yell by Billy Idol. And, and Todd felt the most comfortable singing the, the Billy Idol song. So anyway, that was supposed to be a bonus track. Well, the CD and the album comes out. And the record company put that on the album and put another song as a bonus track. So, so that's, that's, that's kind of what happened. It's a great version. Yeah, it's cool. I'd love to hear the the cult cover too. You guys yeah, can put that nice. out. Is that done? Did you finish it? No, we didn't finish it. Uh, Next time around, maybe. So are you shopping? Are you shopping today, Michael? Uh yeah, one of my guilty pleasures. Yeah, I'm gonna throw down some some equipment here at Sweetwater. Well, tell them you're doing a podcast with us, and uh, you, we're <laughs> we're all we're all talking about how great their stories. So maybe you can get an extra special discount. I mean, I don't know. I, I've never been here, and this place is massive. Oh man, you've never been there. They have a barber. They have a putt putt thing. Yeah, it's pretty wild. They've got a slide too. You can go down the slide inside too. It's scary how big it is. You know. <laughs> yeah. And how many buildings they occupy. It's just amazing. One thing we always cover on the podcast, of course, with Hugh on board is 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 album covers and and artwork. And a lot of our guests, you know, Hugh's worked with and, and a lot of them he hasn't. And so we like to go through that. But obviously with you guys, we were counting before we jumped on with you, Michael. And Hugh, I think, has worked on five uh, covers uh, for Queensryche over the years. And uh, oh, yeah, want to talk about those a little bit and tell some stories in that regard. Yeah, Hugh is been a part of Queensryche's history for uh, many album covers. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's always great, you know, when you have such a renowned artist, bless and design your album cover. So, you know, hats off to you, Hugh. Thank you. Well, it's been a pleasure working with you guys too. Now, the the truth is you and I met twice <laughs> when i flew out to the uh was a little log or what's it called big log that's you that they call little log Hugh. don't you mean <laughs> hey all right <laughs> i got a really bad connection <laughs> but the day we flew out there was some some the wings were icing on uh, chris's plane so and it was great to be out there and watching you guys work watching you guys developing music you know in the room that was cool um, and then we did a photo session, I think, in Seattle at, you know, sometime thereafter. And w- when we were at Big Log, did you come down to the uh, the local bar at the ferry terminal with us ever? No. I... There was an in- interesting character that came there a lot. This guy lived in a tree, and he was married to a llama. <laughs> okay. Uh, right. And his llama would be outside the bar, <laughs> and he'd come in and and have a drink with us. <laughs> Como se llama, llama? You know, I don't know, man. You know, I don't know. How do you tell their gender? I don't know. I didn't get close enough. I wish we had done that. It would have been good. I, I think I was there for just overnight one night. Some bands will will drag you off to their locals. I worked in London with Iron Maiden years ago, and the nightly event was to look at the progress of the artwork and then to drink and drink <laughs> and drink. Yes. We've had... Uh, some fun times with the Iron Maiden boys as well. No doubt. No. Man. So artwork wise, I mean, I, I don't remember who I was responding to, to be honest with you, when I was doing the covers. A, a lot of the times I'll get a good title and I'll just blurt out an idea. Someone will say, that sounds great. And then I go away. I disappear for six weeks. But 
Um, when it comes to artwork, how involved are you? How how uh, hands-on are you? Yeah, on this album, it was, you know, we kind of had the blueprint with the name of the album, which was Digital Noise Alliance, which was DNA. So we wanted to, you know, put a DNA molecule. It's clever. It's very good. Build that somehow into our uh, our symbol, the trireich. And, and we just went from there, you know, and we just kept seeing different versions of it through the record company and then, and, uh, you know, when it was finally done, we were really happy. And it's it's on our uh, uh, T-shirts that we're selling on our tour right now. And it's the biggest selling uh, item we have. So where'd the name come from? I mean, I'm sure it's documented somewhere, but I never even asked. I don't know. So back in 1982, um, Chris DeGarmo wrote a song called Queen of the Reich. Uh, um, and before we were Queensryche, we were called The Mob. And we were going to call called the uh, project the mob but, but the people who were managing us at the time said that that name was taken so we have to come up with something different and so yeah i think uh chris had a dream or a nightmare about this woman and uh we just kind of took it out of the uh, song the queen of the reich and it came up with queen's reich and that was that kind of fit because because you know we were young and and goes oh this looks really cool let's put some omelots on it yeah <laughs> yeah well, that's the other thing. How many people in the world ever thought you were from Germany? We're constantly explaining the pronunciation of our name in other countries, you know, and they say, well, you have the two omelets on it. It's Queen's Rook. <laughs> that's something that, um, you know, it's it's just been with us forever and, and we're always explaining it. You mentioned some of the bands you've toured with over the years, obviously Judas Priest, you said, Iron Maiden, et cetera. So what are some of the bands you've toured with, you know, in your past? You're kind of like, I can't believe I'm actually on tour with these guys. You know, obviously we all start out as fans. So, you know, any of those from uh, your live oh, experience? Yeah. Over I the mean, years? just being able to, you know, be on the same bill with Judas Priest is, is amazing. You know, I got to pinch myself. I grew up listening to these guys, you know, um, same with I well, same with Iron Maiden. You know, I was I was into the, the two guitar, you know, metal guys and you know, the harmonies and all that. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, we've been, we've toured with so many bands. I mean, Dio, Metallica, uh, ACDC, Def Leppard, Bon Jovi even, um, Quiet Riot, Twisted Sister, you know, and that's just a few. And what was the first concert you went to as a fan? Um, I think my dad took me to a show in the Seattle Center Coliseum, and I think it was Creedence Clearwater Revival. I don't know how old I was. I don't. I don't remember it, but I. I know I. I went to it. So, what about the first show you went to that you paid to go to that you were like pumped to see? Oh, uh, I think it was Black Sabbath with Van Halen opening. Oh, that nice. Was, yeah, was you saw Never that Say, tour. Yeah, it was the Never, Never Say Die tour. Yeah, their old manager Noel Monk wrote a book, and he talked about that tour. It was, I mean, Van Halen, everybody talked about the tours. Van Halen came out and kind of blew Black Sabbath off the stage. Is that is that what you remember at that time? Yeah, I saw that. I saw that performance and it made me, you know, take up guitar basically as a full time thing. Yeah, Van Halen was a big, big influence on me. And you started off, I, I referenced it at the beginning of the show, you started off playing bass and then you uh, somewhere you put the bass behind and then moved on to guitar. Can yeah, you talk about that a yeah, little bit? Yeah, I mean, in junior high, I was in, you know, various garage bands, and uh, I, I was playing bass with some friends, and 
just jamming and stuff. But then, you know, I, I got to the point where um, the next band that I was in had a bass player. So I just picked up the guitar and started learning. It was all kind of pretty much self-taught, you know, by ear. And when you're that young, you know, you're a sponge and you just absorb everything. So I think that's, you know, that's kind of, it was my calling to become a guitar player. And then as far as the beginnings of the band, I read a little bit, I think on your website about it. Can you talk about just how Queensryche was formed? Um, Cause I know you were there at the beginning. Right. It was, uh, now, me, Chris, and Eddie, and Scott, we'd meet at these uh, these keggers out where uh, Microsoft is right now in Redmond, Washington, before Microsoft came out, you know? So we'd, it'd be like, just like in the movies, cars with headlights on, and in the middle was a, a big keg, and everybody was drinking there. And that's where I met the guys, and I think we decided to uh, to jam. So we were all working day jobs and um, we decided to, to go into Triad Studios, which was back in Redmond, Washington, um, and record, uh, you know, graveyard hours. <laughs> so, cause it was cheaper. So, and then at that point, you know, we had four songs written and the vocalist we had at the time wasn't working out and that's when we got jeff involved and he came in and and sang on our uh our demo tape which uh eventually we we gave to these this couple at a record store called easy street records which is in seattle and they liked it so much they backed us and um they pressed i think sixty thousand copies and you know we sold out like you know pretty quickly um, due to the fact that we got this awesome review in Kerrang! magazine, which is a, a British magazine in the armed and ready section of the magazine. So here we are, you know, 19, 20 years old. And then the local radio station played one of our songs on the radio and we're uh, telling our bosses, hey, that's us. And they're going, that's not you. That's not you. That's that, that sounds like uh, some British band or some, you know. So it was like, you know, once once that happened, you know, it just our first show was playing at the Paramount in Seattle and Portland. I just played both of those places. Great, great home with uh, we opened up for uh, Zebra and th th those were our first two gigs. So we never played any Zebra. Yeah. I don't recall that band. Yeah, Randy Jackson and Zebra. Come on now. Oh, I guess they really had their stripes, huh? Uh, mm -hmm. hey, yeah, they were big there for a minute. Yeah, <laughs> I remember them. That's a horse. Of, that's a horse. <laughs> that's of a, a horse of a different color. Wise guys. The and the comedy tower is collapsing. Uh, <laughs> oh, <no kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! Just smashed the crap. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for saying that, Michael. It's important yeah. to call him out. When, when <laughs> I, they have my uh, they have my gear in Sweetwater, and they want me to go pay for it. So. Oh, imagine that! All right, <laughs> yeah, that works. Thank you for joining us, Michael. We appreciate it.
What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shot? Would they shot? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.